You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. I'm your host, Naomi. I am recording today on the land of the Bunurong people. Uh, I'm joined here today by Larissa McFarlane. Larissa is an artist, particularly well known for her work around disability pride. And today we're going to be talking about disability pride and chronic illness and the relationship between those two things and, and the complexity of that relationship, I think. So welcome, Larissa. Hi. Um, yeah, it's uh, great to be here under these unusual circumstances. Um, <laughs> I am also, <laughs> I'm also on Bunurong Country on the other side of the bay to you um, in Footscray. And, um, yeah, and grateful to be here. And we would like to acknowledge elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Um, so disability pride, it's a big subject, but can you sum up for me, Larissa, what, what is disability pride to you? Okay. Um, for me, the disability pride, it's like a movement and it's about trying to change the way that we think about disability and try to see it in a different way, to, 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 to stop the stigma and the shame around disability. And that idea that um, disability is just part of the, uh, the normal, the natural, the way of being human, part of the human diversity, and that, you know, we should have, be able to take pride in who we are, no matter how, who we are. I came to disability through acquiring a brain injury 20, almost 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. and and I've done I've worked in the ABI self-advocacy movement for quite a long time maybe I don't know 15 17 years so that's sort of very much a movement around trying to gain rights for um, people with a brain injury in particular and I sort of started realizing that none of us were very good at standing up and saying hey I've got a brain injury and and this is what makes me really unique and awesome in fact none of us did that and I looked around the room and I could see all these really awesome people but none of us could see it in ourselves and and I I started believing the only way we were going to make uh inroads with gaining our rights was that if we could actually stand up and say you know our lives are worth a lot and we're proud of the journey that we've taken and who we are today and so uh I started investigating disability pride so this is this is an interesting one for me because my my disability i've i've mentioned before on the show is is chronic fatigue syndrome me cfs and i i see a similar thing there where people are reluctant to sort of actually claim the idea of disability itself um i think there's a real like strictly by definition i would say a chronic illness is is a disability um that's an opinion that i have based on my own experiences and and I know but I know a lot of people with chronic illnesses don't necessarily identify with this idea of disability in the first place so so this idea of getting from that to a place of pride is actually quite a difficult step is that something that you've encountered oh absolutely um and that's where I would say that I feel um you know, I still marvel at why would somebody want to talk to me about disability pride? Because really, I feel so, I feel really shit at it. <laughs> like, I think disability pride is a really 
difficult thing to have, but I aim for it because I know that it's really important and that when I am proud of who I am, my life feels better. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's something the world is so, um, our world, our culture in Australia sees disability as such a negative and every day we get messages about how our lives are worth less and, and, and there must be pity there's pity involved in that and there's this, the shame that we feel because of um, the attitudes towards our lives. And, and I've lost my train of thought. Can you just remind me? No, that's okay. <laughs> um, I, do, I do actually just want to clarify because um, you, you said that you're not sure why people talk to you about it, but I would just... Um, <laughs> you're you're actually quite, quite a high-profile artist who has, who has dealt with the idea of disability pride very publicly and brought, brought people together to talk about disability pride very publicly. So I just want to say I am very, very proud to be someone who is your friend who has been a part of this <laughs> and witnessed this. Um, and so, okay, and so I, feel like, I feel like you're actually someone who talks about it very eloquently. Oh, thank you. That's good. <laughs> it is true I have done all those things, but, um, but I was very much just keeping in mind all the... All, so many people who, who have, ro have role-modeled disability pride for me at moments, because I think not all the time can we be, because it's hard. But um, yeah, I, I just constantly think of them all the time, and so that I can work towards being more proud and challenging um, the ongoing um, internalized ableism that I have. The way that our society is ableist, and the way that it doesn't value people with disability, and then so as disabled people, we internalize those feelings, and we can't help but internalize it. Um, we internalize it without even realizing. So I'm, I'm trying to challenge that. So I, I'll just bring this up as an example because I, um, with, with um, the chronic illness that I have, a lot of people acquire that later in life. So you go through, through your childhood maybe. Uh, some people do get it as children, but um, a lot of people will go through their childhood and some of their adulthood able-bodied, not really thinking about disability, and then suddenly wham, they've um, lost a lot of function. They feel sick a lot of the time. And there are a lot of things about various kinds of chronic illness that are objectively unpleasant to deal with, you know, things like, things like pain and fatigue and nausea and, you know, all, all sorts of symptoms that, yeah. that are actually objectively bad things. I think, um, I think it's easy to go from feeling negative about those things to internalizing the external things as well like that sense of shame that you're not keeping up with an with an able-bodied person or that that completely you know there's a standard there that we're all expected to meet but it is when you think about it quite arbitrary you know they've decided that this is the the level of activity everybody is supposed to be doing every day and for me i think disability pride was about acknowledging no everyone has worth regardless of how much you can do, you are not your productivity. You are still a valuable person for whatever you do offer and whatever you offer yourself. And, you know, um, we're, we're more complicated beings than that. And that, that for me, cause I really struggled with this idea of disability pride for a long time and how it related to me in my situation. Um, but I think when I realized that, that was when I started to actually identify with, with that idea. Is that something that, yeah you would relate to? Oh, definitely. Because, um, and I think that's where, um, where disability pride for people with 
chronic illness is 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 really complicated. Um, COVID has not been kind to me, um, and I also I'm sorry to hear that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I live with that pain and fatigue, which has been made much worse by COVID, being not able to access um, various therapies. Um, so yeah, revisiting that this pain has really and that the fatigue has really made my life um in terms of productivity very 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 much smaller um and so with that came a lot of you know um shame or depression you know there's all these people doing all these amazing creative things you know during COVID, and i i'm not even able to make any art and what does that make me? What does that mean for me? Um, am I a value? Am I even an artist? All those things, those conversations um, you have in your head and to really bring it back and go, well, um, you know, this is just another way of me living my life. Uh, it's not easy, but I still have, it's just a different way of being me. Um, mm. I'm not saying that that sounds so trite for me to say that because I'm certainly don't wake up in the morning and go, awesome, I'm me and I'm just going to make a cup of tea and that's probably going to be it for the next few hours. Um, so, yeah, it's not quite that simple. But I think um, it has been really interesting for me to look at that again. That reminds me of something. Um, uh, I don't think it was Stella Young who first said it, but she she had it tattooed on her arm where uh, you get proud by practicing. Who actually who originally said that? So um, it was a woman called Laura Hershey, and mm. she was a uh, a US disability artist, actress, writer, and she wrote this long, beautiful poem, um, which you can quite easily find on the internet if you Google Laura Hershey. Um, yeah, and it's all about the importance of um, practicing to be proud and I think that's that's so important because you don't just come out as being disabled or come out as being a proud disabled person um just like you don't come out as being queer or anything else it's this ongoing journey um and sometimes it's it is a bit like coming out um as gay because sometimes you head back to the closet for a while and if you're living with an invisible disability as chronic mm. illness often is I mean, sometimes I go into the closet very unwillingly because, you know, I'm, for example, every time I enter the health system or the medical system or see a doctor, um, I, have, I feel quite compelled to have to go back into that closet and not be proud and play a game of charity and pity to get the services I need. Um, yeah, which is... I mean, I guess this is one of the reasons why this idea of pride is so important because it's those systems that really need to change. Like you should yeah. have to be like sort of pitiful in order to get the right medical care. That's, that's just awful when you think about it. But it is, I mean, I've, I've played that game as well. Like I've, I've gone in there and sort of, I'm very good at not looking sick, even though I feel sick. I've had 15 years of practice at this to, you know, carry on normal conversations, but I need a doctor to know that I'm feeling sick. Otherwise, you know, I, I could get written off and I'm not going to get my symptoms treated. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking as someone who has had, you know, quite serious problems that have been written off as anxiety. I once, you know, I've been given prescriptions for anxiety when I came in with um, <laughs> so, some issues that needed, needed treating quite quickly, but the doctor just sort of said here, you know, have some, oh. have some, have some anxiety pills, you know, this is, and this happens to a lot of women. This is a very gendered thing as well. You know, you hear about people who walk in having heart attacks and who get 
um, yeah, get, get written off yeah. or told to take a Panadol. Um, and also, um, I mean, whilst we're speaking about chronic illness, I would include people with mental illness within um, the chronic yeah. illness bracket because um, people with mental illness don't, well, didn't identify with disability. That's actually changing in just the last couple of years because of the mm. NDIS. And so, you know, now people with mental illness are trying to get on the NDIS and to do that, you have to use the word disability. Um, but, and, and that yeah, way so it's have, how people think. Hey, I was one, th I was one thing I was um, thinking about through talking to some other friends is noticing how um, when you do see a doctor um, or the medic in interact with the medical system, and you have a chronic illness, um, the medical system is quite, they, they often discourage you from identifying with disability. They have this yes. sort of attitude that if you yeah. identify, you're going to somehow get sicker or you're never going to get better or um, it's going to undermine you in some way. And they can get quite upset when you talk about disability, yourself as a person with disability or as a disabled person. Have you found that? I haven't actually dealt with that personally i don't i don't think it's sort of come up as something i haven't sort of actually actively said to a doctor i identify as disabled but it's something that you see in um when you're looking at people researching chronic fatigue syndrome where there's been this idea that if you discourage people from identifying as disabled then they won't be as disabled as if you can somehow change the physicality by thinking about it differently um and I think it's actually very damaging because you don't actually, yeah. you don't seek the access you need if you don't identify as disabled. You won't, you won't buy that mobility scooter that's going to allow you to go to the shops more. Workplaces are required to give people with disabilities certain accommodations. Like you get better access to the workforce if you actually ask for what you need. Um, so in many ways, identifying as disabled actually increases what you're able to do. And I see this a lot with people, especially people who have just become chronically ill. There's this um, reluctance to say, I, I am disabled. I think I mentioned this before. People are very reluctant because they feel like that's giving up. A lot of people feel like they're, they're just waiting to get better. Um, yeah. And in some cases, people do recover. Like there's about a 5% recovery rate with my particular illness and, you know, things might be very depending on different people's health situations you know maybe there's an operation someone needs that's going to put them back where they were or you know there's a, there's a lot of different reasons why that might be a valid way of thinking but i think for people who have these long-term conditions i think people can go years and years and years thinking i'm going to wait until i get better before i do blah and then they never do it um yeah and i think that's it's it's this function of this idea that we we should not identify as disabled because that will make us disabled. But then, you, you know, it's, it's a very, it's an ableized, ableized yeah. way of thinking, I think. I think it's very ableist. I don't think there's any truth in it. I don't think that, I, I just don't see how uh, identifying with disabled can make you worse. Like it, it just, yeah. And it brings community <laughs> as well. Like you. Exactly. Once you kind of identify that label, you've, you, you, you find others who identify with it for the same reasons and, and that gives you peer support, which is very important. Absolutely. I think very important. Both, both, no, we've talked about peer support before, but, um, I, uh, and that's why, you know, I have the commitment to, to bring community into my artwork because I gained a lot of 
um, a lot of value. I learnt a lot through the various peer support groups I've been in, and that's been across like brain injury and also um, uh, CFS support groups about 20 years ago and through mental illness peer support groups as well. Um, I wouldn't be where I was, where I am today without that peer support. Um, yeah, very important. Um, I was thinking just about something else um, around just disability pride. So when you stand up and say, I'm disabled and I'm proud or whatever, there is this sort of expectation from um, other people, non-disabled people, that you should then disclose your disability or being disabled and proud, mm. proud means that somehow you've got it, you know, oh, yeah, you're so proud and you can say, well, my disability is such and such. But I think that's, that's a separate issue. Well, it's bullshit, really. You shouldn't have to define your disability at any point, but not when you're when you're identifying disability pride either. In fact, I think that's, I think that's interesting. Important. Yeah, I think it is a very separate thing because I'm from from my perspective, I'm quite comfortable talking about my illness because I feel like there's a lack of understanding about it. So if anyone ever wants to know, I'm perfectly happy to explain exactly what's going on. Um, <laughs> But I do know, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people who use wheelchairs who strangers will ask them how do they go to the toilet? And it's just like, how is that any of your business whatsoever? And yeah, it's this expectation that you're going to explain exactly yeah. what's, what's going on rather than asking, are you comfortable talking about this? I think, I think that's a really good thing to do. A lot of people do that with me. They ask, are you, are you happy to talk about this before they actually yeah. ask? I think that's probably because... Um, because, you know, since in the last few years, since I've become known for disability pride, um, that, that I've had that, I've been asked that question more often. Well, what is your disability? And I know that people, because um, uh, my disability is invisible. Um, do you feel like people a, are asking for your qualifications when they do that? Like their question? Oh, yeah. Do you, do you oh, have yes. a right to be talking about this? I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing. Um, and I've actually had it said to me. Um, that in, in putting up the, the second disability pride mural after the first one was destroyed, I did have people say to me, you know, are you really qualified to do this? Because, you know, you're not really disabled. Um, and, wow. and Yeah, it was pretty intense that moment, that week of trying to process that thought and work out what that meant. Um, and, of course, then internalised ableism came on board with me going, well, you know, it is true, like, I'm not as disabled as I used to. I mean, my, I, I don't have as many um, impairments as I used to 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, uh, so I think it is important to say there are varying types and varying levels of, dis of disability on, and impairments, but that doesn't mean that you don't have the right to identify if you want to. And that's, that brings up an interesting point, actually, which is this idea of some people have the right to claim the word and others don't, like depending mm -hmm. on an external judgment of what kind of disability do you, like, I mean, what, what answer would be incorrect to people who ask that question? And I think that creates, again, this creates an access issue because coming back to the, the example of the mobility scooter, like if people are telling you that your disability is not legitimate, are you going to go out and get that mobility scooter if it's going to help you go to the shops more? Um, or are you going to be reluctant to do that because you feel like you're, you're wearing a costume, you're, you're, you're yeah. claiming something that you don't have a right to? It's... I think also, sorry to take you off that point because um, no, I don't no, want to lose the one I've got in my head, um, but is, is that recognising that, um, that there is that, um, that some disabilities are 
more legitimate than others. Well, they're not, not with all disabilities are, are legitimate, but in terms of the way disability is seen by, um, by people, non-disabled people, um, that some are more valued. people as well. Yeah. Well, I found that, um, that, I mean, I was aware from really early on and, and then, you know, through the, my last 22 years, but particularly a few years ago when I started doing the disability private mural and, reali and really identifying. And, and I've often used ABI or brain injury as my identifying disability. And I, because I also live with significant mental illness, I have um, PTSD, which impacts me probably more than my brain injury. And also with um, what is called fibromyalgia. And I don't really identify with fibromyalgia. And I think it's because of the stigma. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I lot, would there find, is a lot of stigma around that. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's shifted and I need to, I, I need to get look at that. But um, I am well aware that I, was, I have been using ABI and not mentioning the others. So that makes you aware of, like, the hierarchy that is, is like, external. Yeah. And then in some ways that's what enabled me to do the disability pride new, I don't know, maybe if I didn't have an ABI and I just had mental illness and fibromyalgia, maybe I would have um, still done that. But I think for me, ABI seemed to be less stigmatising. And for other people, it may be completely different. Um, but I do think it does bring up the issue when you do have multiple identities or multiple disabilities or um, multiple intersections, like of different parts of your identity, there's always this sort of need to to pick a side and the pressure to do that, which really can sort of, um, you know, hide other aspects of your identity. Um, for example, I mean, I'm queer and, but that's not a part of my identity I really talk about. And I think it's because I've somehow felt this need to just, you know, go with disability or something. For a long time, I didn't identify as a feminist, which I now see is just, you know, uh, a little bit problematic, but I think I didn't feel like I could be intersectional. There wasn't the, um, mm. the space for me to be all these different things. Um, fortunately, I am, I'm coming to, you know, be better at accepting all the different bits of me. Yeah. I find this interesting because I think I've been in both feminist spaces and disability spaces where there has been a focus on trying to do better at being intersectional within the movements, but also within ourselves as well. Because I, I do find I've done, I've done work around feminism and I've done work around disability rights and I do tend to focus on one at a time I, and I go back, back and forth. Um, and you're nodding, you understand. Uh -huh. Yep, so this is... <laughs> um, I think I know, like I know the places where they intersect. I know that, um, you know, when it yeah, comes to are. getting medical support, women are going to struggle more than men and this has an impact yes. on your experience of disability. Like th there are things like that where there are very clear like in intersectional issues going on. Um, but yeah, when it comes to my focus, like I will focus on one at a time. I mean, as human beings, I think we like to categorize things. I think our brains work that way. That's how we understand the world. And I think that's. Or is that part of our culture as well? Is that part of the Western capitalist culture likes to divide things up? Maybe, maybe both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's hard. It's hard because we're not objective about that, are we? We're sort of, we're inundated with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look yeah. at some cultures where um, there isn't even a word for disability. Um, mm. or Well, Australian or for... Aboriginal cultures, a lot, of, a lot of languages don't have a word for disability. And if you don't have a word for it, how does that impact the way you understand it? 
which is why it's so important that we talk about language and how language is evolving around these issues and words like pride in association yeah. with disability, coming back to the idea of pride. Um, yes. Yeah. So I want to say, <laughs> one thing I just really wanted to say too, mm. and I know this, I should have said this much earlier, but you know, these perspectives I have on disability pride um, are really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I'm really privileged as a disabled person. I'm, I mean, I live in a, I'm white and I'm relatively educated. Um, I'm cisgendered and I also have the DSP, you know, there's lots of that. So that gives me income and an ability, which might not be much, but it's still a hell of a lot if you don't have it. Um, and that gives me the ability to think about these things and, um, and talk to people. Also have 22 years of, you know, brain injury experience to work with. Yeah, like my perspective now is so, so, so different to what it was when, when I first became disabled. Like this is, you know, the, the years of, of coping with it and your perspective changing and talking to people and developing community, they do, it does create perspective. That I think it's, it's interesting because you can't expect people who have just become disabled or just become chronically ill to be where you're at immediately. And I think it's a little easy to forget that like if you've spent 15 years developing this idea of pride and what it means to you and you know someone who became ill six months ago is still going to be in that frame of mind of when I get better I will um yeah so I think it's it's important to acknowledge people are at different places on this on this journey and may reach different destinations that's right and and that at no point um is it different or is it wrong or if you're not ready to say you're disabled like it's it's um I, I had a conversation with a friend this week and I, we were talking about disability pride and she said for her as a, a person with a chronic, well, she, was, she has a chronic illness herself, but she was more thinking hypothetically around often for people with chronic illness, they take pride in being able, being able to do things. So mm. it's that they're taking pride in hiding their disability, um, yeah. which is complicated um, and, not about, and not really disability pride, but it's still a way of you trying to find some way to be proud of who you are. Does that, do you get what I'm saying? No, I do. Absolutely. I don't think I agree though. I, think, I don't agree either, but I yeah. think that, um, I think that is a, that is, that is a step that all of us have been through. Yeah. I think, I think, I think it's definitely, it, it's a place where a lot of people end up or, or a stepping stone, I guess, to, or, or I guess a place people get stuck. Um, yeah, because I think it's a very exhausting place to be trying to pretend to be something. That's <gasps> not. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that is the definition of the closet. I think that's, um, to, to use that sort of analogy, but, um, yeah, yeah kind of, I don't want to shame anyone who's in that frame of mind at the same time, <laughs> cause I don't think that's helpful, but I think when, when I see that it sort of, it does make me sad. It makes me, it makes me feel like people have been made to feel ashamed of something that they should not feel ashamed of that they, you know, if, if you have an illness, you have an illness and you shouldn't have to hide that. Um, yeah. it's, you know, people would like to sweep it under the rug and I think, um, that's dangerous. And I think, yeah, it so is. And I think that's where community is really important because and peer support going back to that to to be able to see this just you know that example I gave to be able to challenge that in yourself and see it a different way mm -hmm. um and if you don't get that exposure then it can you can end up there and it, it's really hard place to be um yeah, yeah but it's still not your fault it's no yeah. no 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 
I don't want to imply that in no, any way. Yeah. No, not that you were implying that at all, but um, but I'm saying that, yeah, to, to the people who may be listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if, if that's where you're at, it's okay. It's okay to be there for now. Um, and on that note, I'm actually going to say thank you very much, Larissa. <laughs> for talking to me today <laughs> this conversation has, has gone lots of different topsy-turvy ways and it's been really fun um exploring a, a subject that i know is very dear to you and and something that is very important to me personally as well and hopefully to the audience this this episode of chronically chilled will be going online on the podcast uh you can listen to that at www.3cr.org.au search for chronically chilled uh, if you've tuned in later in the show and you'd like to hear how it started, that's that's the place to be. We're on the air at 6 p.m. on the first Wednesday of every month. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next month. Mm-hmm.